Yeah, like, that's the thing. Well, also, like, man, like, a lot of, like, the abilities, I'm, like, still, like, a little, like, confused as to how exactly it is I'm supposed to make, um, 5th edition combat interesting. Machination Log presents Murder, Hope of Fantasies, Chapter 5, starring Tom Hightower. I haven't figured it out yet. I know that there's, like, a way, but, like, man, like, a lot of these guys are, like, just bruisers, or they have an effect that, like, doesn't go off because the players make their save. Um... If the players don't make their save, then they basically have to just keep doing what they were doing with the debuff. Like, there's no real fixing it. That is a weird thing about the save system in Dungeons & Dragons is how binary it is. Yeah. Um, and they try to get around that at higher levels by just having half effects and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but it actually, it, in some way, the save is a, um, it's a violation of the improv yes and rule. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, no, because, like, like, it's it's worse for characters, right? Because, like, with characters, like, man, like, the saves that they, like, stick on to, like, their, like, uh, spells are so low, and they don't really have a way to buff them, by and large. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you wind up, like, getting, like, this weird, like, thing where it's, like, I do this thing, and it's, like, cool. It makes it save. So how much damage do you do? Less. Okay, cool. What type of damage is it? Electricity. That doesn't actually matter. Like, yeah, it's I don't. It's actually it, it's it's a it's a it's a weird thing where like I actually I've never played fourth edition, but fourth edition looks like it's a lot more fun to like actually like do like the fights in. But like I could be misled about that. It just depends on what you want out of the fights. <clears throat> it basically makes them much more like an MMO. Oh, like an MMO or like yes, a, because you have abilities. Yeah, but positioning matters. Right? Like I mean, like that's like the big problem with like MMOs. Like by and large, my experience of it is that. Um, is that uh, you uh, You basically just stand there and you do damage and you try to get your rotation down. Which, like, to be fair, getting your rotation down is still more fun than D&D 5th uh, edition fighting, from what I can tell. Really? Uh, I, I don't know for sure, because, like, I mean, I'm just DMing this. Uh, and, like, it's been a really long time since I've played D&D. It's been, like, what, like, I think, like, two years or so. Um, and, like, you know, I was playing 3rd edition where you had, like, a bajillion source books to make like the fights interesting, uh, including like Tome of Battle or Tome of Blades, whatever it is, Book of Seven Swords, something like that. It's the one where you have like the... I'm sure those all exist. Yeah, that, I think so. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean like with that one, it was fun because um, like the Crusader has like this really fun ability where uh, they have a bunch of different martial techniques, but which one is available to or which ones are available to them on any given round are random. So you do, like, this weird sort of, like, cycling thing where you, like, have to, like, pick, like, the best ability for the situation, and it's frequently not the abil- one of the abilities that you have coming up. But the fact that, like, what you can do changes every round, like, made watching the Crusader fight, at least, like, a lot more exciting. That seems much more akin to 5 than 4, though, because yeah. a lot of the problem that I had with 4 is that it is environmentally agnostic. Oh, yeah. There's positioning involved. There's a lot of move things this many spaces. You essentially can't play 4th edition unless you have a game board. Yep. But um, it, it there's a lot. The, the one that I always come back to is that the rogue has an ability that involves picking up sand or other some. Uh, some other kind of debris and throwing it in someone's face, Which is, as if that's always going to be possible. Yeah, um, and that's that just seemed lazy to me. Yeah, no, I mean, like, no, that's like a whole like creepy, like gamey, like thing about fourth edition that, like, for me at least, like, makes it like really hard to like see myself playing that kind of game. And like, if I did, I'd just play a Feylock because, like, I've never like actually had the opportunity to play a character like a Feylock that like teleports everywhere and so on and so forth. Um, 
But, like, it is, like, entirely, like, the mechanics that would draw me to it. And the problem is, is, like, the, the gaminess of the mechanics at some point, like, do... Like, reading them make... Like, reading the rules uh, makes me feel dirty. Uh, and I don't think that's, like, snobbishness in terms of, like, an addition war kind of thing. No, it's a different... D&D 4 is materially different. Like, it's yeah. fundamentally different than the other ones. Yeah. It's, it's trying to be a game. Yeah, in a way that in a way that makes me, like, kind of uncomfortable when, like, I start, like, reading... Like, when it starts, like, having, like, these weird assumptions about, like, what's going on and, like, the really, like, long descriptions for, like, effects that don't mean anything. Like, you summon a bunch of dogs to bite your opponent's, like, legs. Alright, well, my opponent is, like, actually a gelatinous cube, so there are no legs to bite. It, they still They still get hobbled. Yeah, it's like, again, it's an it's an environmentally agnostic yeah. gaming system. Where where are these dogs from? How long do they exist? Could I do something with the dogs? No. Oh no, but I have this thing where if I have a dog in that area, like I could probably set it on fire and like the time it takes for it to like emerge. No. Don't do that. It's an like it's an effect. Don't think about it so hard. I mean in all fairness, the other Dungeons and Dragons editions aren't exactly great for any of that stuff, but they at least they it's allow there. for it. Yeah, is the it's, thing. it's like, there they, they even if the rules legislate. are weird about it. Yeah, they like the, the the it's it's a it's a negative liberty <laughs> kind of thing, right? Where like they don't uh uh where like they don't specifically legislate against it uh in the way that like fourth edition feels like it legislates against that kind of thing. Yeah. Um or you have to build the systems entirely of your own volition yeah. to work with them. Yeah, but no, I've I've been I, I've I've been having like a really like hard time designing interesting combat encounters and like part of that's probably just like a lack of imagination on my part uh like because it's a mechanical thing and like i'm frequently pretty bad at figuring out mechanical things like that um combat's tough i mean yeah. getting if you're not just going to rely on the rules to generate their own value if you're not going to rely on the pcs to have the power fantasies that you've already said that you don't really care for yeah um having combat be tense that way is not entirely D's bag honestly yeah. At some point, the hit point totals, as you mentioned, uh, when we were walking around, I and again, I by all means, if you want, if you want a tailored system, I will gladly make you one. But I mean, the first thing that has to go in Dungeons and Dragons to me is the hit point system. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, like it's 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 bizarre because um, it, it feels like it's such like an intuitive like fix for the problem. Uh, uh, and like part of that's just because like I think like all of us kind of grew up with a hit point system, and you want your guy to like get tougher like as time goes on, like if you're doing like a normal like D and D thing. But like, God, like after like playing like Exalted, we're like, unless you like put a lot of like points into being tough, like one good hit is going to fuck you up. Yeah, like period. It's, it it thing, makes everything a lot scarier. Yeah, well, and that's that's exactly the way I want the game to be. That's, yeah. I mean, I've mentioned before on the podcast that Spider-Man 2 would have been a monumentally better movie if they had just addressed the basic vulnerability of both the antagonist and protagonist. Um, if Spider-Man... Which one was Spider-Man 2? Spider-Man 2 was Doc Ock. Oh, yeah. If Doc Ock is... A giant metal apparatus that could squish Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a super strong teenager who could just punch Doc Ock in the face and kill him. If they, if the fight occurred with that understanding, I think it would have made a much better movie. Yeah, I like there. I've definitely like had like really like good fights in Exalted uh, that were based around 
all of us being squishy, relatively squishy demigods, uh, and there being some massive, horrible thing that you had to keep dealing damage to, but you also had to, like, keep putting yourself into a position where you couldn't get hurt. Uh, and, like, figuring out how to do that. Uh, and how to, like, bail people out, like, when they were, like, injured. Uh, well, it, it's it's just weird. Like, the hit point system feels like it, it should work for some classes and not others. And yep. yet it seems to it seems to run against that. I, the, New the, rule. Casters uh, get their first level of hit points. Uh, max die. And that's it. Period. Wizard is always going to have six hit points. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I can, I'm okay with that to some extent. It's because... It, you want the barbarian to be able to muscle his way through a bunch of hits, and yep. the hit point system accounts for that. Yeah, but I—that's I, even that doesn't necessarily feel like the right way to do it. Um, at some point, um, I don't know. Maybe that actually, maybe some variant of that is totally the way to do it. Is that you, the barbarian, or classes like it? It's literally one of one of their perks is that they get hit points at all. Yeah, there we go. Well, no, uh, actually, I, I, have a, I have a better fix for that, uh, which is that everybody has the same hit points roughly, but barbarians don't take penalties for getting injured. Uh, or that. Right? So that, I think they would need some kind of resistance, sure, but, yeah. but that could definitely be stacked on top of it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, man, I've, like, you know, like, I, I've, like, limited, like, the amount of, like, uh, things that my uh, players can cast, um, uh, like, pretty, pretty substantially, right? You know, it's, like, you know, like, a day's worth of spells per week. Uh, roughly, yeah, um, uh, and they're still like basically like toasting everything I throw at them. <laughs> um, like, like they're. Are they're, you bothering to do CR balancing? CR stands for challenge rating. It's the way the Dungeons and Dragons correlates the level of the characters to the level of the monsters. I like a little bit. I'm trying, like, because like I don't know the system well enough to ignore CR. Uh, mm. But, like, I mean, like, I... Well, no, actually, interestingly enough, in, like, the first uh, session when they fought the bandit captain, uh, the bandit captain just plain old dropped one of the uh, one of the players just, like, right off the bat. Because um, I had four first-level characters fighting a CR2 uh, opponent, uh, and they were amazed at how many hit points he has, which I hadn't really, like, I hadn't noticed, but, like, I figured, well, he's CR2, like, they'll figure out a way to beat him. And they did. Um, uh, but, like, it still was, like, by and large, dumping attacks into a guy. Um, which is less than fun. I mean, you, you definitely seem to have a low opinion of your combat. Do your players? I Do they seem to mind? Can't tell. Uh, it, they don't seem to mind it too much. They're not complaining about it. Uh, some of some of the time, like uh, the fight with um, God, what was his name? Von Zem, uh, the uh, Galician operative in the woods, uh, when they were trying to retrieve the artifact the first time. They seem to have a lot of fun with that one, but I'm pretty sure the reason why was because every time they hit him, uh, his hat fell off to reveal a smaller hat. Um. Also, actually, that one actually had like an interesting uh, had an interesting thing, w- which was that uh, he had uh, a bunch of soldiers with him, but like half of them were illusions. Uh, and the way I managed that was basically I would just roll like every time like one of them hit, I would roll a die uh, to see whether they were a real person or a fake person. So like that was. 
kind of fun. And I think they actually enjoyed that fight quite a bit because he was a spellcaster. But the problem was that it could have been a lot more interesting if any of his spells landed. Um, but not a single one did. Uh, you know, because I, I didn't want him to just, like, throw fireballs and whatnot. Like, I, I sure. want... Yeah, I wanted I wanted some like solid like debuffing kind of thing. Uh, so he had like deafness slash blindness. He cast it twice. Not a, neither one of them took, um, which basically meant that he wasn't doing anything that entire fight, like by and large. But you guys are still playing in Dungeons and Dragons despite this weird deficit for combat. Yeah, because um, uh, well, we wanted to play Fifth Edition. We wanted to see what it was about. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe, like, I wasn't the best DM to, like, have do this, because I'm bad at rules, and I like making up new runs, so. But uh, part of this has worked out, and that's why we're sitting here. Yeah. Because you, you had mentioned that uh, you managed to implement horror into a D&D game. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, I was as surprised as my players were. Um <laughs> I mean, I was I was certainly taken aback. That's that's a kind of emotion that is extremely hard to elicit yeah. in that environment. And it wasn't it wasn't great horror? Like it wasn't like huge horror. It wasn't like horror movie horror. But like there were there were, there have been a couple moments uh, and like just in general like a general vibe of disquiet. Uh, yeah, and I want to dissect how that actually came about. Yeah, uh, at least part of it seems to. We seem to have decoded at least part of it in that your characters don't want the power fantasy side of the game, which means that they're not spending most of the game looking at their player character sheets. Uh, Doesn't sound like. Yeah, I mean, Annie's always kind of a power gamer. Uh, Like, that's just kind of how she operates, but she also plays characters who are power gamers IRL, right? Sure. Uh, And, like, that... And, like... She's aware that she's doing that, which means that like she power games like a living person would try to power game, right? Which is like, I want more money. Um, uh, I need to like not look as though I'm terrified by this thing. Uh, you know, I I, uh, I I I can't allow for this insult to pass. So on and so forth. Like yeah. it, it's like, like they do the min maxing of real life. Yeah. So, but like, but it, it is like that kind of like it, it isn't. At least in this campaign. In other campaigns, like, she's been, like, worse about this. But in this campaign, it's not, like, even, like, the sort of, like, sterile, sociopathic min-maxing of real life. Like, it, like, like the, the, the character that she's playing is actually, like, a character. Um, mm. uh, and not, like, some sort of, like, sociopathic superhero. Um, I don't know why that's the case for this one. Um, uh, Better I, story? Maybe. I mean, I don't want to, like, take credit for that. But, like, this seems like it's been a pretty good story so far. So, what's made the story good? Well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I I have no clue. Well, uh, let's break down what makes a story a story. The world. Yeah. You built the world from scratch. Yeah. It consists mostly of a forest and a couple of cities, specifically one city with some periphery to it. A town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, two towns, but yeah. And a mine. Yeah. Up to date. You guys have played how many sessions so far? Uh, I think like six or seven. Okay. Um, it's been spread out because like people have been like out of town for like political stuff. But. What's What's the span of time? When did uh, you guys start? Uh, when did we start? Jesus Christ. Um, let's see. Was Late it 2016? 
Yeah, it was 2016. It was probably like in like November or something like that. Okay. Again, we, we've 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 had we've had like a, a lot of like uh, we've had like a lot of times where like uh, people couldn't show up. So around four months for six sessions. Yeah, it sounds like a regular adult schedule for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, so. uh, and this one this one was just particularly rough because it was during like uh, like political meeting seasons. Yeah, uh, and stuff like that. So it's a lot been going on. Yeah. in the background. Um, but so the world you. Passed me a doc or two related to the world, and you bothered to throw in the context for not necessarily a prologue, but at least to fill in the gaps. You gave everybody a a little uh, page long transcript of what was going on. Yep. Do you, um, is that a common practice in your group? Uh, we do it sometimes. Uh, Nils does it. Nils actually like even has like uh, Nils will even like make like word documents. Uh, of like uh, information that we would know, um, Ernils has done it. Uh, Annie's done it too. Uh, I don't remember if Elliot did it for like the one game that he ran. Um, yeah, I mean it's not it's not uncommon. Uh, mine was like a bit more like sort of mine was a bit longer and a bit more like sort of narrativey uh, than the others, where like it was it was a bit more about the setting rather than like just like what was going on. I guess, or yeah. like what was going on, like in like the world. Um, part of that was intentionally misdirection, uh, as, as you can imagine. Yeah, like you had a you had a part. I love my temptation to say spoilers whenever <laughs> we talk about this. Like yeah. someone's going to go out and play this game. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think I think we're I think the embargo has lifted on this. Yeah, um, you had misdirection related uh, to the initial quest yeah. where. Everyone was under the impression they were part of a war effort that was ongoing, but had effectively ended. The kingdom that they live in uh, is the only kingdom on the continent, um, but there was a civil war going on. And the civil war had gone on for two months, and the rebellious side was losing uh, pretty dramatically. But there was still urgency in wrapping it up as soon as possible, uh, because uh, harvest season was coming. Uh, and the longer the war dragged on, the more people were go- uh, the more uh, people were going to starve. Um, and I presented the problem of well, like the problem is is that like the fortress that guards the approach to the region that's in rebellion is uh, very formidable uh, and it's very hard to siege. Uh, so I already like sort of created like some pressure. Uh, that like sort of justified having an adventure in the first place. Yeah, right. And it's upper level pressure. I think that's. Yeah. I think that might have been if if it was as effective as it sounds like it was within the game. I assume the players reacted to it appropriately. Yeah, uh, I mean their their reaction was anger uh, <laughs> more than anything else um, for 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 pretty good reason. But like. I think on some level it made the actual like sort of like main start of the quest, which is going into the woods, uh, a lot more unsettling. Um, well, yeah, I because because they're, you... they're not going to adventure place, well, uh, and, right? Like, and the the cause of it is a um, you introduced an upper level problem. They were face they were attempting to solve a problem that was not as low level as the real problem was which was uh you <laughs> they were trying to win but they were losing and you took that away yeah and it would it exposed the the underside of it which is a really effective way i mean movies tend to try to do that at the very end 
or as part of the twist. And, yeah, I'm, and you I'm, basically started the campaign with it. I was keenly it. aware that 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 uh, that uh, sort of revealing the underbelly uh, of a thing, uh, like towards like the end or the middle, as a twist was something that like is like kind of expectable. So I really wanted to hammer them as hard as I could in the early sessions. Yeah. Uh, like with this horrifying uh, revelation uh, that in fact they've lost the war. Uh, that they, they lost the war in a matter of weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and the war was lost while they were away. Uh, while they were enduring hardship to bring the war to a rapid close. Uh, and, like, some of it is, like, they got furious at the king, uh, and they got furious at the king's agents, because they were just thinking, you fucking idiot, you lost this fucking war. How did you do that? How did you screw up that badly? Um, uh, and the king's there to talk to them, is, is the thing, because, uh, because the king's fleeing into the woods, uh, the woods that they just came out of. It's why, it's why, uh, Nils's character, uh, got himself killed. Uh, because uh, the woods were such a bad experience that he decided that the king had to be killed uh, to prevent uh, to prevent this stupid idea from happening. Because Nils, knowing a little bit about history, was like, "Oh well, no, this is fine. Like the royal family just gets slaughtered, and then like everybody else like lives under a new ruler. That should be fine." Uh, of course, that's not the case uh, for mythological reasons. Sure. Um, but yeah, no. So so the, so so I, I think on some level, like. The, the misdirection definitely, like, uh, helped everything feel more frightening because it, one, if you're going into a dungeon filled with the undead uh, and so on and so forth, you're less likely to be horrified if that's the main trajectory of the plot uh, because that's how plot happens is you go through it, you survive, uh, and, like, everything has a purpose. Uh, their first entrance into the forest uh, in the game um, was an errand, right? Like it, it, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't in fulfillment of the main plot. Uh, it was that they had to get something from there and then get back to the plot. So I, I think on some level, because I've, I've noticed this with like a lot of like a, I've noticed this with uh, uh, video games and role playing games and TV. Uh, with side quests, you can be a lot scarier uh, than than main storylines. I think some of that actually is because if it's part of the main storyline, uh, it the reason of the narrative or like the logic of the narrative is more present. With a side quest, you're allowed to be terrified. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but like I think that might have been a factor. Is that like when they first went into the forest, they thought it was just a side quest, right? Something something to get them into uh, into the actual story. Well, I mean, you presented it that way, yeah. so there's every reason to believe that the forest was just a dungeon yeah. in the game. Um, when did the first horror element seem like it struck? So uh, early on when they were entering into the woods, uh, I, I think there was a, a, a moment of uh, horror. So like, the woods are supposed to just be a bad place. It's not where you go for timber. There's another woods that you go to for timber. These woods are bad woods. Nobody goes into these woods. Uh, uh, they're cursed or wrong or bad or something. Um, but they're supposed to go into the woods because they need to recover this powerful artifact or something like that that'll bring the war to a, a speedy conclusion. I think 
the first time that there was like a sense of horror was that I mentioned that one of the laborers who was cutting a path through the woods uh, said that uh, one of the trees reminded her of her mother and that she couldn't explain why. And that was like the first time where I started seeing like on like the like players' faces like this like kind of like disquiet or like this like dawning dread a little bit. What kind of dread? Because that seems like it could be a role play buy in kind of dread. Nah, I mean yeah, it it, it, it I know like sort of like role play buy in dread, uh, and like it's not like necessarily like. Yeah, okay, so I, I guess it was, like, kind of like a roleplay buy-in dread, but, like, they were, like, laughing nervously about it. Like, it was, like, one of, like, those, like, kinds of, like, things. Um, I'm not, and I'm not specifically trying to push that in one direction or the other. It's yeah, yeah. The, the question is whether or not they initiated this subconsciously or consciously. I mean, do you tend to give cryptic Chekhov's gun-type clues as uh, to what's going on around you? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, in in this campaign, I've done that a lot less. Uh, And the last mage campaign, which was the last campaign that I ran, one of the only campaigns that I've run, um, yeah, they were not really, like, Chekhov's guns, more like Chekhov's painting. Like, one of those things that, like, I, like, would put there in hopes that uh, later in the game they would look and finally, like, see what the picture was uh, with, like, the new information, so on and so forth. That didn't work so well. Uh, this time, nah, I mean, like, I, I'm, like, still, like, leaving things like that, but they're not really crucial to the plot uh, in the same way. How much of the detail work in the story matters to the plot itself? Mm, how do you mean? How much of the world could you strip away without it affecting the progression of the story itself? Oh, gotcha. Um, I, the story could take place in, like, plenty of other settings. Um... So, like, the thing is, is that part of it's that the plot that the players undergo and the story, and I haven't figured out the entirety of the plot, uh, is the thing. You know, I, like, sure. my, my, my intention right now is to get them to this place, uh, and then react to what they do, largely. Um, uh, I don't really have, like, a, a win condition or anything like that, like, laid out. I don't really have, like, a closing to the plot laid out yet. I guess the setting is, like, kind of core because, like, the whole thing is, like, them, like, sort of realizing, and they've already realized this, so I can I can kind of spoil this, uh, is that, uh, like, this, like, sudden upset where the Civil War that didn't have a chance won, um, and I wrote this before Trump won the election, uh, just to be clear. Okay. Uh, uh, the, uh, Civil War that didn't have a chance won, and the King flees into the woods with the uh, with as many people as they could rescue from the capital uh, and the people living in their town on the edge of the woods. Um, that is something that has happened over and over and over again. It's a cycle, and it's different things each time. So you know, it's not always like a civil war, but like the story goes that like you know every like handful of like however long uh, the established order is destroyed and flees into the woods um, over and over and over again. Uh, and there are reasons for this. It's not one of those like weird things where like uh, there's no reason for this. History is just cyclical. Uh, like there, there is actually a reason, and it's a very... It's a reason that's fairly big uh, that I haven't figured out just yet. Um, 
I, I, I have like the sort of broad strokes of it at the moment. Um, but I guess the plot doesn't really work without that uh, as, a, as a thing. Because part of like what they're doing right now is they're traveling into the woods and seeing like the ruins of other civilizations who fled into the woods and memories as well. Because the whole thing is that the woods are kind of like this weird place where like memory uh, and the living and the dead sort of commingle. Uh, the setting wouldn't work, and the setting wouldn't work if there was a clearly established afterlife. Uh, or the story wouldn't work if there was a clearly established afterlife. It wouldn't work if there were undead, if that was a known thing. It wouldn't work in a high fantasy setting either. Um, on some level, like people's understanding of the world around them has to be bound in a way that like uh, being able to class, cast uh, clairvoyance uh, every day, five times a day, uh, that would not allow for this story. Does that make sense? Is that answering your question? It tangentialized from it, but it still brings up an important point to this. There is a lack of safety in the way that this is bound. One of the weird things that high fantasy gets into in trying to be fantasy to the absolute greatest degree it can be while adhering to some somewhat arbitrary Tolkien principles um, is that any way you can push on boundaries they will fall. The notion of an afterlife, the notion of a multiverse, yeah. all you have to do is keep writing and writing and writing, and there's always a leaf to overturn to unveil whatever need, whatever feels like could be there almost certainly is. Um, the, uh, it winds up being very bland very quickly that way. It's, it's very constructed that yeah. way. But you lean in having the woods be more than they appear in this specific way, the only way that works is by having, again, is by having these bounds actually exist. Mm -hmm. There is an actual wall that cannot be penetrated with arbitrary knowledge. Yeah, uh, two of the players uh, had a dream sequence where they like actually spoke with the dead, and they actually did speak with the dead, uh, and they actually, uh, that's another thing, death is actually a character in this. Uh, there are no gods in this setting uh, except for Death. And Death isn't really worshipped. He's just this guy who just shows up in a bunch of different places and everybody knows him and, like, you know, like, kings talk to him, so on and so forth. So he's like a, he's, he's like a, a known entity in the sense that he, he's known to exist. Uh, what exactly his purpose is, so on and so forth, whether or not he's actually Death. Like, nobody knows any of that stuff. Um, but the character's actually... Uh, Nils' uh, first character talked to Death, uh, which is how he died, uh, <laughs> as you might imagine, because Death can't let this expedition fail. Um, but there is a dream, sequ- there is a, a dream sequence, or a dream session, I guess one, one could say, uh, w- where uh, the players actually do get a bit more information about what the afterlife is. Uh, and Nils's first character's death is another like thing where like uh, where like they got information about what the afterlife is. Of course, the character who actually like, knows it in canon is gone. Uh, but like the gist of it is that uh, the dead go to an actual real place that you could sail to probably, um, uh, but death isn't allowed back in for some reason. Uh, and Death is furious and unhappy about this. Um, so Death is actually a stranger to this place. 
Um, and uh, the geography winds up getting weird because I'm like doing like one of those things where like you know like ostensibly you can actually just sail directly to it, but only if X Y Z like that kind of thing. So it's not like a planar gate or anything like that. You know, it's not like you can't get there without using magic. Like you could, and if you were like you know sort of one of those mythologically like clever figures, you could sail through the lands of death or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but death himself isn't allowed back in. Uh, and, like, the nature of this afterlife uh, is uh, kept is going to be kept uncertain for, like, a, a good while, uh, I think. Unless they listen to this podcast before. Yeah. Well, no, because, like, two, two, like one, of, one of my concerns is that, like... Um, so the reason why I had a dream sequence uh, session was because uh, Nils couldn't make it to one of them. Um, but Nils' character from the first session was dead. Uh, so I, like, actually, like, realized that, well, the other two characters from the first session are alive, so I could just do a dream version of that session. Uh, and since they were already in the woods, where, like, the, like, sort of, like, living and dead kind of commingle, uh, and, like, and, like, there is, like, this, like, sort of confusion about where exactly you are, uh, I could actually have them just dream in a way where they, uh, talked with some of the characters who have died uh, earlier in the game uh, while retracing their steps. Um, How often do you guys do dream sequences? Um, like, never. This is the first one oh. uh, that we've done. I will, uh, like uh, With my mage campaign, I would uh, email people uh, dreams that they had. Uh, like, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Um, part of that was just because I wanted to sort of, like, work on my prose. Um, and, like, the... Mage the Ascension campaign was, in, in some way, like a sort of extended uh, creative writing exercise. Uh, I imagine that's probably the case for almost every like campaign. It's like still the case with this campaign. I'm just trying to like make it like less heady, so that it's more relatable and understandable. How are you making it less heady? Um, by giving them sort of like more stuff to be concerned about, uh, and like not making the mystery like the core thing. Uh, like, so, like, it's not, it's not like, they're in Chicago, and all of this weird stuff is happening, and they need to figure out why. Like, at this point, it's, like, literally, uh, uh, it's literally, well, we need to get through these woods to get the magical artifact, and then get it back. Uh, and then we need to get through these woods and survive as a caravan, which means that we need to address threats to, like, this, like, uh, threats to, like, this fleeing populace. Like, so, as we continue. So, the degree to which they're contemplating the greater scheme is, it's, it's, it's couched inside of more immediate concerns. Yeah, it's, like, all, all, of the, all of this stuff, because they're in the woods now, like, all of this stuff is tied to, uh, like, the greater mystery uh, of the setting. But uh, it's not as though they need to figure that out. To figure to like address the problem. I think that's probably a very important thing to latch on to. Yeah. Because a lot of games can go astray when the players are required to to make decisions of that caliber too yeah. frequently. I mean, I'm sure it'll come up on occasion. You'd mentioned there was a mutiny that was put down. Oh yeah. Uh, that's that that is that is the like first moment of like sort of like legitimate like like, it dawning on all of the players that this is going to be a really... Uh, and me, uh, this is going to be a really dark campaign. Um, which, again, wasn't my intention when I wrote this out. 
like I just wanted something that was like a little bit grittier um, and like a little bit harder and like a little bit like less power fantasy ish. Uh, but it's gotten dark pretty quickly. Um, uh, in their first expedition into the woods, where they're supposed to retrieve this magical artifact, um, they've basically like gone through these woods, which like the three player characters uh, all know these woods are bad. None of the laborers know this. The guy who's heading the expedition doesn't know this, um, right? Like, they, they weren't raised with all of these, like, you know, like, sort of, like, stories about don't go into those woods, don't go into those woods, those woods are bad. Um, so I think on some level they were kind of primed to, like, expect, like, something really terrible to happen. But, like, by and large, like, it's, like, feeling being watched. Uh, they were supposed to meet up with a guide. The guide was torn apart by wolves. Uh, like, you know, people, like, have, like, weird memories and, like, weird, like, ideas and so on and so forth. Um, so it's been fairly harrowing overall. I'm not entirely sure how I generated that, like, feeling. Um, but, like, the, the trip into the woods has apparently been fairly harrowing for the, uh, uh, for the characters. Um. How much agency have they had over the progress of that trip? Uh, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, it's been kind of railroady, uh, like, like, for the most part, like, their, their agency has largely been based around how they address, uh, problems that show up, but they actually have, like, a map, right? Like, they have, like, a place where they're going to, and they have a period of time where they're expected to get to it. Right? Oregon Trail through the woods? Yeah, something like that, uh, except, so, like, the, the conceit of, uh, the conceit of the trip was in part that, well, they're pulling these wagons for all the supplies, uh, because people need to eat, and like you know, you need tents and so on and so forth, and people can't just carry all of that on their pack on their backs. Yeah. Um, so they are going with a bunch of uh, workers uh, who are chopping down the trees uh, to make way for the wagons. Uh, um, the fact that they are, I mean, railroading is one way to term it, but a railroad implies a, an actual track, and even though you do have path in some sense I can imagine the players assuming that the way back isn't necessarily open the idea that you that what they have around them is all the sustenance and civilization at their disposal and then making their way back out in the event that the rest of the the fleet capsizes would be uh, pretty challenging. That still requires the world you're building out. That requires the setting to be effective, um, which it sounds like it was, but I can imagine that contributing to it pretty significantly. It's a lot. It's uh, Heart of Darknessy. Uh, a little bit. I've never actually read Heart of Darkness. Boat on the Congo. Yeah, sure. I've, I've, I've heard that part about it. That's the part I'm referring to. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah, so so basically, like there there are all these hints that there is something wrong in these woods, uh, and like there are like clear like deaths, like the guy that they were supposed to meet up with isn't dead, um, uh, and I even like gave them like hints about what's to come because like the guide had like uh, taken sketches of like different things that like uh, that he had seen, um, so like that I think on some level like actually kind of like fleshed out the force and like made it feel more real, uh, like. Uh, in the sense that it wasn't just like this, like a uh, sort of like a tramway uh, where, like you know, something else like shows up around the next corner and you look at it. Ooh, that's really like you know, uh, that's really scary or that's really pretty or that's really frightening, so on and so forth. Yeah. Like, um, so instead, like you know, they're like, oh, okay, so there are mountains somewhere around here, 
Uh, and then, like, you know, like, they travel for another, like, four days, and, oh, look, there are mountains. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that also, like, kind of fleshed out. But, yeah, no, so so the, the, the real, like, moment of, uh, like, sort of, like, genuine horror, from what I can tell, um, was the two of the players overheard one of the laborers talking to another one saying, you know, if we just kill him, we can just go home. Like, we have the food. There's nothing keeping us here, so on and so forth, right? And it was a, it was a, it was a very like sort of like sensible uh, appeal to like the, the the characters, from what I can tell, you know, like it, they weren't being spoken to directly, um, but but like the way that they've like sort of like handled this is that like all of the characters, if not the players, have had second thoughts over and over and over again throughout this, um, right? Where they're looking around, and being like, this is stupid. I this really better be worth it, so on and so forth. <laughs> um, but they. Go to the leader of the expedition, uh, Helmut von Zollern, uh, and they tell him that this has happened. Uh, and uh, Helmut uh, thinks for a moment and uh, says, well, we need to take care of this. Come with me. Um, and that's when uh, uh, Nils, uh, one of the uh, players who, like, encounter this uh called for a break because uh, he needed to think about like the sort of like ethics of what he was about to do uh and uh that's that's when people started talking about how ca- how dark this campaign was that like it was like actually like a little bit troubling um because they wound up executing the guy who was talking about mutiny uh but it took a bit of work to like settle on like that like decision and they were not happy about it well, sounds like they had an actual genuine dilemma. Yeah. And that's, of course, the question we're trying to figure out is why. Because it's, it's easy enough to role, manufacture a role-playing excuse that, well, everybody's got a point, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's the king's orders, but also who's the king. I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously the most basic reason why it's happening, but you have to get there. And that's the part in Dungeons and Dragons that almost never actually works. Yeah, because you're, you're like, because like really what you're doing is you're looking at it and being like, okay, well, which one pushes the plot forward? Or which one does the thesis, which one agrees most with the thesis statement, the one sentence? Hang on, let me check my alignment real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, right. No, like it's 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 like that kind of bullshit where like yeah. there's not a there, there there really isn't any difficulty in making a decision. No, uh, like you either have a character with a simple enough morality uh, that they just apply that sentence to every situation, or. Fifth edition tries as hard as it can to railroad you to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's. I'm not entirely opposed to like the sort of like whatever it is like the bond virtue. What? Yeah, bond flaw. Something. Ideal. Maybe? Yeah, that's probably it. I'm okay with, it, especially if you're making mechanically oriented, just crawl around in a dungeon games. Yeah. Th- those actually are very helpful for just brainstorming ideas. Yeah. Um, but. but I mean, like, all of my characters gave me sheets with those on them, yeah. uh, and I just completely ignored them. Yeah. I completely forgot about them, because, like, that it doesn't matter. Well, and this, like, this scene is impossible with those in play. Yeah. Um, you can't you, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, or if you can, it would require an outrageous amount of aesthetic, um, aesthetic setup, which, granted, it sounds like you had. I mean, the, the characters 
you had them rolling over every combat encounter, except apparently for the CR2 guy, uh, yeah. the bandit, but uh, you, they have to have felt vulnerable for this to work. Yeah, I, they, they apparently did. Uh, cause, well, no, cause like, cause like, I, like, part of it was that, part of it was that, like, you know, like, can, could you kill all of the, like, like, we had like 20 labors or so. Like, on some level, like, I was kind of pleased with it because really, like, a mutiny when you're that far out is really scary. Yeah. Um, cause there's no guarantee that you're gonna be able to, like, even make it back. Like, even if you survive, like, you still might starve to death. I think there's another benefit here, an accidental benefit. You had mentioned um, that you've played six games, approximately. Uh, with this specific group, yeah. With this but, group uh, of people. But, like, with Nils and Elliot, I mean, like, we've been gaming for, like, I think, like, half a decade now. Yeah, I've been gaming for a while. But your games all tend to have endings, or they tend to be relatively short on session count, compared to Dungeon... There are Dungeons & Dragons campaigns that traditionally go on for years. Yep. They just keep... They go literally from 1 to 20. I, I don't understand uh, being interested in your character uh, that long. Or uh, even if you don't make it to 20, they just... For either logistical or story-driven reasons, the, everybody just sort of rides off into the sunset and they're never seen again. Yep. Um, your games have the threat of ending. Yeah. And I think that played a massive role here. Because if... Because no one in your party was probably gonna was probably thinking in the um, in the very meta commentary commercial breakaway how are they gonna get out of this one? Yeah, I think it was probably plausible that you'd let them all die. I did. I mean, I I, I let one of them die. Uh, <laughs> well, one is very different from all of them. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's I. It is. It is. I mean, I wasn't going to. Is the thing. I mean, like, like for, yeah, but, for, for how short our games are, like, you know, like basically everyone makes it out of it makes it out of it alive. Uh, in fact, actually, Nils's character dying in my campaign is probably the first time we've had a character die uh, in one of our campaigns. Oh, really? Uh, I, that's not entirely true. Uh, we played a. It's close to true. It's close enough to true. Explain uh, what that could possibly mean. Uh, so, like, I played... Uh, when we were trying out uh, third edition, uh, Annie was running the campaign, uh, and I was playing a very deeply paranoid sniper, let's say. And uh, at some point, my character, like, realized that one of the other player characters was conspiring against him. So... I realized, oh, well, my character would just try to kill that guy because he can't be conspired against. Uh, so I made an attempt on his life, uh, and it didn't work perfectly. Uh, and so I fled uh, and escaped, like, the ruined city that we were exploring. And that was the end of that campaign. Like, I ended that campaign. Oh. Um, uh, but like, but you could have died. My, my, like, like, here's the thing: like, either Nils's character or my character would have died if we kept playing it out. Um, so one of us is as good as dead. Uh, it would probably um, counts. Uh, yeah. See, that's why I said kind of. Yeah. Um. Besides that, yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't actually think uh, any of our. Uh, that's weird. We fucking kill people all the time in yeah. our campaigns. I make a point of dying in all of my campaigns. Yeah, I, so it's 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 very freeing. I mean, like, yeah, but like Nils's character like walked straight into his death. He must have known that that's what was going to happen. Um, Nils actually like has a history of like doing this thing where he's fine with a character leaving a story if uh, the story no longer fits the character. 
uh, we had a uh, X Files esque game where, like, you know, like I think you've mentioned this before. Yeah. But oh, well, so he was playing. Uh, he was playing like a, an EMT or something like that. And like when the call like finally came for her, right? And like some like demon was like knocking on her door. Some some like sort of like obviously like supernatural guy was like knocking on her door. Uh, she fled through the fire escape and called nine one one. And when the door was kicked down, she like ran. And moved in with her aunt and Joliet. And that was the end of her story. That was, like, like second session. Uh, like, because, like, the character that he played was, like, practical and wary enough that, like, as soon as things started getting, like, supernatural and there were people trying to break into her apartment, she was like, no, I'm not living in this city anymore. <laughs> NPC um, from the start. Yep. Yeah. So so Nils Nils like actually like does like have like a, a a history of like being able to like uh do that kind of thing. Um But yeah, no, besides that like most most uh, in most of our campaigns no one dies. Uh part of that's because everyone's like really careful and I think part of that's because I don't know if the campaign's going to be like ending anyway like on some level like it's kind of weird to introduce a 11th hour character if you've like only got like you know like three sessions left or something like that. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um um what is the shortest campaign you guys have run? I mean, the shortest completed campaign that we've run, or the shortest yeah. campaign that we've run? Uh, completed. Uh, I mean, that's probably uh, Nils's, uh campaign, where it was a uh, knockoff of uh, Twin Peaks and Stranger Things. Um, that one didn't last very long. It was a D20 Modern uh, game where we were investigating. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember, but it feels like it was the shortest. Okay. My campaign is actually going to be a lot Longer than that, uh, which from the sounds of it, yeah, I'm a little surprised by, and a little uh, intimidated by. But what are you gonna do? Are you ready to keep the dread coming? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm not terribly interested in like theme policing, uh, in in uh, in this one. Uh, I figure I'll make as good of a story as I can in the background and make as uh, compelling and interesting like places and situations as I can. Um, but I'm probably, I'm probably not gonna try to, like, marry the rest of the campaign to a vibe, if that makes sense. I know you sort of answered the question already, but just to reiterate it after that context, um, are you hosting this campaign as an excuse to write the story? Uh, no, uh, I'm... I mean, I, the, in, that might be true now, uh, but, like, I didn't, like, I opted to run a 5th edition campaign first. Uh, I didn't have a story in mind. Uh, I racked my brain for, like, a good while, like, trying to come up with something. Um, and this is kind of what I settled on. Um, and originally it was just kind of settling, because I did kind of, like, like, this feeling that there was, like, a better story out there or something like that. Better how? Uh, I don't know. Like, the, like, I mean, like, initially, like, it was just, like, not fully formed enough for me to really like it. But it was, like, the, like, sort of, like, best, like, like, it was, it was the cluster of ideas that conglomerated, uh, uh, fastest. Right? So, so, that's why I picked it, was because, like, enough of the ideas fit together for me to run it. Okay. Um... So, like, now, uh, 
So, like, here's the thing, is that, like, I don't, like, particularly enjoy, like, designing combat encounters uh, or, like, plot stuff. Uh, just in general. I hate plot in general. I hate reading plot. I hate writing plot. Uh, I hate games that rely on plot. Uh, I, I just hate plot in general. Uh, it's very boring. Um, so I don't really enjoy doing that part of it, by and large. You know, I, I basically try to structure it in a way that is going to be conducive enough to like the players having a good time. Uh, like the juice, though, that like serve like motivates everything else, though, is is prose uh, and like writing out the setting and, like, writing out, uh, like, scenic vistas and, like, you know, like, uh, describing, like, very, like, odd occasions. Like, uh, you read in the notes, like, the moment that the, uh, uh, body of the, uh, child is revealed, uh, all of the trees that they've been, like, chopping through, like, uh, are suddenly people, uh, like, or at least, like, look like people trapped in, like, the trees. Um, uh, and like you know, like I narrate like the the laborers like panicking, so on and so forth. I have it somewhere, but I don't feel like reading all of it right now. Um, That's fine. That passage got me through a lot of the other writing because once I wrote out that passage, uh, and by the way, that passage didn't come to pass. Uh, the players uh, switched things up enough that like that's not what happened in the story. Uh, but writing that out is what facilitated me or is what facilitated writing out uh, all of the other boring stuff, because all of a sudden it had an emotional context for it. Uh, it, had a, uh, it had a feeling for it. Uh, I'm not married to that feeling persisting throughout the entire thing. I don't want to make a campaign of dread or anything like that. But like, I think on some level, like, the, writing of, uh, the writing of the prose and the, like, the writing of narration allows for me to like, sort of like, uh, make the rest of it feel like a living place if that makes sense yeah you build out from a particular whether you'd call it top down or bottom up is mostly an opinionated affair but i imagine a lot of fiction is written around poignancies of that nature i'm reading a book right now called 300 arguments which uh to quote to paraphrase i guess uh, sarah munguso's blurb on the back it's it just says, consider this all of the quotable passages from the longer book I would have written with them in it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, in D&D, in order to relate it to other people, you have to fill that out. And yeah. that's, <laughs> you, just, you just need to come up with a more combat-inspired, poignant point, and then uh, you, can build some, you can build some properly tabletop, gamey elements around it. Yeah, uh, my uh, the like the last like like serious fight that I had them in was uh, I took the stats from a hook horror. Um, I wanted them to encounter some sort of monster that uh, was like kind of made of language, I guess, or like you know like it wasn't intelligent at all, but it would write down languages that had passed through, right? And, like, that was, like, one of the ways to, like, reveal that, oh, no, this has happened a bunch of times before. Um, and, uh, the way that I did that was I actually had a, a hook horror, uh, that had one extra ability, which was that as soon as someone cast Firebolt at it, it parroted the words and cast Firebolt back at them. Uh, and, like, that was, like, sort of, like, my, like, clumsy way of, like, merging uh, combat with uh, story. 
Uh, and it was like a little, you know, it's it's a little goofy. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, it was it was funny. Like the players laughed, uh, but like it actually did generate like some like uh, real curiosity uh, uh, in like the uh, in like the rest of the story, like. Because like they like had had like this like uh, sort of lineage of uh, language like sort of manifested to them. They spent a lot of time like actually like discussing and trying to figure out what to do with this thing. Uh, so I, I'm doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there hasn't been like any like real like dead air uh, in any of my uh, campaigns so far, where people are just sitting around trying to figure out what to do. Uh, there's actually a lot of conversation. Which is nice. The dangerous part is, again, like we were talking earlier, being led by the nose can get boring from a purely narrative perspective, but without, but as soon as you start letting the players do too much of the homework on their side, things get bogged down in its own way. Yeah. And it, it just makes it a nightmare to plan. Yeah. Well, because you, you, you wind up basically like trying to narrate. Uh, actions in a space that's really blurry. Um, there's some ways of getting around that, which one of them is just to like yes and everything. Yep. Um, no, it, it it has to become improv. Yeah. I mean, the only things you can rely on are the world that you've built out. I mean, you definitely can't build a plot yeah. when it's that open. I've tried to do that in the the long past. Um, even trying to just anticipate multiple paths that the players will take is dangerous to do. Um, unless you do a lot of magicians choicing on that stuff. Yeah, which like at some point or another people figure out. Yeah. And you can't you can't like you can't lie that well every single time. No, it's tough. <laughs> unless you just want to make that a recurring joke that yeah. fate is fate. But um I, I did that in like the uh dream sequence uh thing where like at some point like they're trying to like talk their way through a guard that uh they had talked their way through in the first session and like at some point he was just like Look, just tell me that you're here to help and send me to go get the rest of the garrison. <laughs> and, like, Elliot just repeated it back to him verbatim. He's like, all right, cool. I guess I'll go do that. Started walking away. Annie, like, tries to flag him down. He's like, nope, ma'am, I've been tricked. <laughs> and just keeps walking away. That was the other thing. I'm surprised at how much, like, the silly parts are not interfering with, like, the, like, drama and horror. Um... Like, because, like, a lot of, like, the stuff has been really goofy. Um, and it hasn't... It hasn't really changed anything, from what I can tell. Like, it's just fun. I'm a fan of goofiness in yeah. my, my tabletop games. Because it's... I Part of the reason horror doesn't work is because it requires this almost melodramatic buy-in a lot of the time. Yeah. And most forms of seriousness do. And a tabletop game, it's, it, it's not. It's yeah. not that. It's a game. Yeah. So... Um, Fiasco is weird that way. Fiasco, the uh, the extremely role playing oriented movie making tabletop game. Um, it's hard to have serious moments in that game without lightheartedness surrounding them because that kind of buy in feels fake really rapidly. Well, and it feels scary too. Like, and like on some level, you feel like, God, am I like this like stupid uh, like 
like deluded nerd that like I'm like getting like upset about this stupid game? Is that how I have all of my experiences? Is through games? Is uh, that how fake my life is? So I don't know. So that's forth? that's probably a best case scenario yeah. for how that plays out. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you much more often get the uninterspective version of that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, nobody yeah. nobody wants to nobody wants to play a game where everyone cries. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, or uh, do they? They certainly want to award games for that. Yeah, that you happens know, all the I, time. Yeah, that's it's very weird how that works out. Yeah. Uh, like it, where there there is like this like drive to like make like real dramatic like systems that allow for real drama and tragedy and so on and so forth. And yeah. then like you don't you don't ever really seem to want that all that much. I mean, like in in my campaign again, I wasn't planning on it happening. Uh, like, I was not planning on, like, there to be, like, any actual, like, component of horror, really. Um, you know, it was just supposed to be, like, the sort of, like, normal, like, vaguey, like, fakey, like, uh, yeah, 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 like, like, that, that kind of thing. Like, uh, like, uh, like a haunted house horror, right? Like, that kind of thing. Uh, but I accidentally wrote into the story, like, two really big moments of, like, awful... (laughs) <laughs> uh, and uh, and the, the the players have been really struck by it. I think it's the first time they've ever experienced this at a gaming table. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, the other one, by the way, is when they abandon the laborers uh, to be pecked to death by birds. Fuck them. Um, that like it, 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 that that's the moment that sticks with me because like even like Annie, who's like a serious like vet when it comes to this, uh, she's been playing tabletop games for like most of her life. Um, like was just like holy shit, this is really dark. Like, at, like as she was leaving, she was like, I, like this is this is darker than any World of Darkness game I've played. Period. Um, and World of Darkness is trying too hard sometimes. Fair enough. Yeah, but just the same. Like it, it, it. it that was like the moment where I was like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? Have you run a haunted house in a World of Darkness campaign? Uh, like an actual haunted house. Like. That vibe, like a Scooby Doo World of Darkness game. I'm sold on it. I kind of. The problem really is, is I'd have tr- to play a World of Darkness game, but uh, actually, Nils's uh, next campaign uh, might be World of Darkness. I'm not entirely sure yet. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a. Uh, it's gonna be like Pact. I don't know if you've ever read any of Pact. No, it's fine. Uh, it's read. a. It's a. It's. It's one of those, like, web series, like, uh, what, like, what do they call those? Uh, like, one of those, like, sort of, like, weekly, like, uh, story things where, like, every, like, week there's, like, another installment, so on and so forth, that has, like, a lot of, like, neat ideas, but the writing is done by, uh, oh, Lord forgive me, a nerd, uh, so the writing's very bad. Um, Are we describing a TV show? Uh, no, it's 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 more interesting than a TV show because like basically it, it just it gets really interested in the rules for its magic, and mm-hmm. it does an admirable job of that. Um, uh, and like there's actually like a lot of like neat symbolism that goes on that uh, the author Wildbo cannot carry, um, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so it's going to be happening at the end of World War II, and we're going to be demon summoners trying to survive something or other. He's going to have a lot of time to work on that, because I don't know when this thing is going to end. Uh, well, hopefully it's equally horrifying. 
Uh, do you have anything else you want to close out on? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I don't know if we like actually like, got to like uh, any point of like figuring out why this this was working. Which yeah, but we weren't going to. I'm a little disappointed by that though, because I really wanted to figure out why this is working because it's a mystery to me too, and you're like the person to talk to about this. So well, I appreciate that, but uh, the the part the the one that I want to pick up on before we leave is. Uh, when I was reading your notes, you have a prose style with a poetic cadence. Sure. You uh, use commas, not for the purpose of separating clauses, but just for the purpose of indicating pauses. Yeah. In information that only you are going to read. Uh, yeah, uh, sometimes. Uh, I, well, I have to write it like that, because uh, like, if, I, if I don't... Uh, I, we, we, we've talked about this at length, so, like, I, I feel a little bit, like, talking about this now, because, like, I think both of us are, like, sort of, like, referring back to an earlier conversation in a way that may not translate perfectly, and it's about I my... I think it'll be fine. It's about the poetry of my writing style, which, as you imagine, is kind of an uncomfortable thing to speak on. Oh, um, well, of course. I mean, but it's it's that you have... I mean, you don't have to take it as a compliment, and you can take yeah. it as your style of writing, is yeah. that it... Everything you write that I have read that is supposed to be prose sounds like it's being narrated. Yeah. It looks like it's written to be narrated. I hear... I, I cannot write sensibly any other way from what I can tell. Uh, like, I... Like, this... Uh, this story has been a lot easier for me to write in part because I think I figured out... I, like, I just settled on doing that uh, while I was writing to myself. Uh, and that's probably what's made it like a bit more of like a sort of flesh and blood story, uh, rather than like a weird sort of alien exercise and uh, guessing. Um, I the idea that I had brought to you that I haven't thought hard enough on to determine how practical it actually is. Mm-hmm. When you're writing your lore that way, when you're not writing your lore to merely explicate or flesh out a world when you yep. when the narrator is that present one thing that very kind of ironically happens in a lot of tabletop games even though um the dungeon master or literally the storyteller is a role in the game yep. the storyteller is almost never actually present. a relevant entity in the game yeah but the way that you write these stories implies that the narrator is important and Putting the narrator in the game somehow seems like a twist on <laughs> on the presentation that would be worth trying. It would rec- it would be a seriously experimental thing to do. I could almost do that with this game if I wanted to, but I probably shouldn't. No, I would say you'd want to start with a clean slate. Yeah, but no. Uh, so, so basically, what we're talking about is like the characters don't realize that they're actually acting out the narration of uh, a narrator, right? It's it, it's the form of the negotiation is very different because the storyteller is also the rules maker. Yeah, they are the one that the the DM has to decide what actually happens, and yep. there's something about that that is compromising to um, the voice of a narrator in what you're saying because you you end up just being an explainer. You don't end up actually being a person or an entity in the world. Um, yeah. You run into this, and, and again, it's, it's slightly ironic that this happens because the, the dungeon master, game master, whatever phrase you want to use for it, the arbiter, um, is doing so much already and yet 
is doing his job successfully only if he's not present. The degree to which he is not there is... You're, su- supposed, to, you're supposed to get out of the way. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, the less present you are for the purpose of arbitrating rules, technically the better a job you're doing most of the time, um, which yep. runs completely counter to the way that you build your world out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think on some level, like, some of it's that, like, I... I don't know, like man, like I've I've played like a a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, role playing games, uh, uh, largely with the same group of people. So I, I hope they don't take too much offense to this. Um, but I I keep running into this problem uh, where all of the interesting dynamics are fiddly little bits or a very clever uh, deployment of a cliche. Uh, or, like, uh, a complicated political situation, right, where you have to negotiate between these, like, five factions, uh, and who was it that killed this person? Ah, you were misled, it was this place, and while you were over here, this happened. Uh, and so, like, there, there's, like, this sort of, like, there's this sort of, like, dry, sort of gamey way that a lot of people do, uh, like, narrative and uh, do stakes in role-playing games. We've talked about this a bunch. Uh, I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> like, I, 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 I am, because it, it's just, it's Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality over and over and over again, uh, by and large, where, like, you're basically just fantasizing about uh, if you're... On some level, it almost feels as though the DM is just fantasizing about being Sherlock Holmes and being able to like imagine this complicated thing, um, uh, or like you know, like 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 trying to like indulging in this sort of like reason play. Let's call it's it. It's all right? coming together. Yeah, but like, and like, if you're a world builder, then yeah, duh. Of course, it all comes together. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like duh. Uh, and I'm kind of tired of it because I'm really tired of clever political situations. I'm kind of tired of, but you didn't expect a fantasy story to be this reasonable. Like, <laughs> fuck you. That's not what I'm here for. Like, it's boring. It's it's boring, and on some level, it's very masturbatory. Uh, because you're basically just pretending that you can actually simulate, like, a real-world situation. But you can't, and, like, that's a lie. You know, if you're going to be doing fantasy, I don't, my opinion right now is that, like, if you're going to be doing fantasy, you have to make it mystical. Like, you have to make it actually fantastical, because that's the entire reason why we came up with the explanation of magic in the first place. In a lot of cases, was that, like, I don't know, sometimes, like, the world just seems to rhyme together. And our brain makes that connection, and it's very confusing. And, like, magic is on some level, like, sort of, like, a story about how, like, those connections work in our heads. Sort of. That's a. I'm being very inarticulate about this, but yeah. So I wrote. I wrote a narrative story rather than a, a clever, tricky story because I. Because I actually like stories. I like stories more than I like weird, uh, plot element equations, um, and I'm tired of them. <laughs> I'm so fucking tired of them. Uh. Uh. Because, like, God, like, almost, like, every, like, fantasy novel that, like, I, like, brush over now or, like, every, like, uh, like supposedly story-driven video game that I play that's set in a fantasy setting, every single one of them is trying to do the same thing. Wow, this is so plausible. Right, yeah, wow, look at the real politic on this one. 
it's it's just it's gross. <laughs> it's it's gross because it's like fetishistic after a certain point. Uh, and like there's like this idea that like you know like actual fantasy and poetry and not being sure about something and something being uncertain and scary. All that is for dummos. All that is for like weird, goofy arts major theists. Um, uh, no, pr- like experiencing ignorance rather than trying to get rid of it as soon as possible is for dummies. Uh, and I just disagree with that. And I think it. I think it gets like. I just think it gets gross after a certain point. So yeah, I wanted to write a narrative story uh, that wasn't so demanding that the players figure out what like the actual like mystery is because I think that's where I fucked up the first time. Uh, and like honestly, D and D's been better about that uh, for me so far. Uh, there's something about setting it in a medieval fantasy world that makes it so that you can like actually like, just get like a little mythic uh, without the myth subsuming everything. Um, so it's kind of neat. Um, and the fact that like the system is very simple, and uh, you're you're not building a problem solving machine, you're building a combat machine that also has some abilities that might be relevant to solving problems. Like as it turns out, that actually does make telling the story a little bit easier uh, if uh, die rolls aren't determining everything like that. Um, but yeah, so I uh, so yeah, that, that's why I write in that style uh, is because I'm I'm just tired of technical games. I feel like that largely answered the first question we started with. Which was? It's very hard to have horror without unknowns. Yeah. And your style is vague in a way that requires them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm trying really hard to make sure that everything vague is also, like, you know, concrete underneath the surface. Like, a little bit. Uh, You know, it doesn't have to be completely explained. No. But... No, but yeah. there's, there's degrees of unknown, but it's, it has to be there. Yeah, I mean, like for one thing, for one thing, like there was a really like sort of like neat reveal where like uh, once they like uncover like the the body of the child and they're like heading back, right? And like the forest has become a million times scarier. Uh, they hear uh, wagon wheels in the distance heading south. Uh, and, you know, like they go. I don't remember. They, they I think they refuse to go and check it. It's like one of those things. Um, but then once they, like, realize that they're heading south, like, once they get back and they see that, like, the capital's fallen and the king is in their tiny town of Grodek, uh, and he's like, we're going back south, right, so on and so forth. After a couple sessions, like, you know, like, they're, they're I think they're heading south, and they're like, oh, fuck, the wagon wheels were heading south. We're heading south. Oh, no. That was either us or, like, us from the past. Oh, no. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, so, like, that's the, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to give, like, my, like, campaign a bit of actual blood. <laughs> uh, nobody's dead, oh, no, I take it back, Nils has died. But, like, Nils didn't die on accident, Nils didn't die in a combat scene, Nils died by doing something stupid. Or not even something stupid, something... He fucked up. He, he, he didn't even fuck up. Like, his plan at the beginning was bad, but he kind of knew that it was bad and that it was going to be, like, suicide. Uh, uh, which was also pretty great, because uh, he got the guy who got them to... Uh, oh, wow, I didn't actually realize, like, how, like, 
how like in terms of like storytelling like that's pretty cool uh the guy who's the head of the expedition uh who got him to execute the mutineer uh uh is the guy who conspired with him to kill the king um because he felt so guilty and so terrible and he didn't want to go back into those woods so on and so forth um but i hadn't realized that it was the same guy both times until just now that's kind of cool what a natural mechanism yeah Anyway, I, so I, I think I think this is uh, I think this uh, podcast is done now. Yeah, we, it's more than enough. Yeah, I think I've we got figured, what we need. How long have we been talking for? Uh, an hour and twenty minutes. All right. Uh, how much are you going to edit this? I have no idea. Oh, fair I'll enough. Have to listen back through it cool, when I'm cool. less tired. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, I guess do we do like a signing off thing now or? Thanks everyone. Thanks Thomas. Thank you. Thanks for Alicia. having me. <laughs> For providing one of the four microphones that's currently recording this. Thank you, all four microphones. I don't know which of these is going to function on the other end. Thank so. you, the only microphone that's going to function. The rest of you can die. I don't care. They will have. Thomas, thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's been something pretty close to a pleasure. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's 